Think. You want to make that move. You want to make that move. You made that move. Okay. I guess I have to destroy that little guy. Somehow I never get bored with him. Now you can't wipe them off. They're holograms. Chewy, relax. Hey, try to compose yourself. Look, all you gotta do is think a few moves ahead, anticipate your opponent. There's a lesson you learn here. Welcome everyone, this is episode 17 of the Comics in Motion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Phelps, and my co-host is Mr. Dave Horrocks. Hi guys, welcome to the Comics in Motion podcast. What we like to do here is we like to review media like movies, TV shows and games that are based on comic books. Myself, I'll be reviewing the media from the perspective of a long-time comic book fan, and Chris will be reviewing purely from that media perspective, and we'll meet in the middle somewhere as we walk through these different media and give our thoughts on it. What we also like to do, we like to spoil everything. So if you've, if you've not seen what we're going to review today, then what I suggest is you hit that pause button, go and watch it, and then come back once you've uh, watched it, if you've still got the appetite. <laughs> So, Chris, I'll throw it straight out there this week. So we're going to review Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah. And you you headed right there for straight into the midnight showing. So how, tell us a little bit about that and how it went. Well, I have a couple of friends. One of them is a mutual friend of mine and yours, Dave, the drummer out of our band, Acer, who I've kept in touch with. And, and for the last – this has been a fourth Star Wars film. We've gone to the midnight launches. So, obviously, we started with – the Force Awakens, then we had Rogue One, and then we had The Last Jedi. And then this, obviously, this one's a unusual because it's out in May. All the others have been out in December. So what we do is we go to the Trafford Centre in Manchester, which is a big shopping you know, centre where they, obviously every part of the country's got them. It's an into one. And we go and have like a five guys, have a chat. We get there at about eight o'clock. The builds up. We get into the Witherspoons about 10 o'clock, and it's usually geeked out. And we're talking like... At Christmas, I have a Darth Vader jumper, which you press the middle button and it does the Imperial March, you know, and that does get old after about the third time, Dave. I think it's highly amusing, <laughs> but no one else does. And uh, But the, all the times we've been, it's been absolutely hammered. Like, I've, you know, I take the day off work, um, knowing that I'm not going to get into like three, three, half three in the morning. And we were sat there, the three of us, you know, just chatting about all load of life things because we haven't seen each other, to be fair, since the last Star Wars. And then we, I just like looked round about 10 o'clock, half 10, and I was like, there's nobody here. So they're like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be, you know, it's fine. It's a Wednesday. I said, yeah, but all the other times we're like, you know, standing room only. You, you, you're literally surrounded by people dressed even geekier than what we were, you know, and, and, we feel quite sort of normal to some of the outfits you see, you know, total <laughs> respect for these guys, but yeah. they've proper gone, you know, full in Boba Fett outfits and stuff. And gets the last order, is it 11 o'clock? And they let us stay in there. It's about 20 past 11. So we said, right, we'll just meander up the stairs around the corner, get up there. And we got up there. There was more people coming down than what was coming up, Dave. And usually you've got, People dressed, you've got people they pay dressed as stormtroopers. You'll have five or six stormtroopers, a, a Darth Maul, Darth Vader. You've got like Princess Leia, you know, Ewoks, everything. We're talking everything, Dave. Mm -hmm. you know, they've got the full nine yards, it's rammed. And it's like one of these where you have to have got your tickets before because the queue is ridiculous. We, we get up there, it was like they were shutting. And I was like, 
what is going on here? And they had all the right day. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. I, I, I swear to you, I walked up to a guy and I said, he's definitely on at midnight solo. And he went, yeah. And they had these like beer mat playing card things, which is prevalent to the film as we discuss it. And and basically they're, they're like a beer mat, but they look like the card thing, Dave. And uh, he's got like Lando, Han Solo, uh, okay. Whoever she was out of Game of Thrones, and then Kira. Chewbacca, Kira, yeah, sorry, Kira, Chewbacca, and they couldn't give them away, Dave. So I just went up to some, one of the staff and said, "Could you start out of interest? How many tickets have you sold?" He said, "Well, we've got like they had about five screens on. They sold fifty-eight tickets for the the IMAX, wow, which holds three hundred thirty-five, and that is the exact number." because we were arguing over how many people were going to be in the <laughs> And I had to go and ask him, and he went and checked on the system, and he went, yeah, it's uh, free, free five in it. And, I mean, we get in there, and we're next to these two blokes who are about the same age as us, and they were laughing their heads off, said the same thing. They used to go to Printworks, but they said, no, we thought we'd come here. And it was it was, it was just, you could sit wherever you wanted. It was a bit like when I'd watched Deadpool, but I'd gone at an obscure time the week before on the Friday. I'd gone mm-hmm. at, like, 5 o'clock. And it was night and day, and I was I, I, I'd be surprised, but I do believe that I'd be surprised if it had a good weekend. But looking at some of the stuff I've read online after I've watched the film, I think it's going to do quite well. They reckon it's going to do four to five hundred million at the box office. So, uh, you know, I think it. I think I was very surprised. That's all I'm going to say. I know we've got to review it, but I, I'm really shocked by that. It was a real disappointment, I think, in some respects. Yeah, I guess the so this is the first one that's this time of year, isn't it? Like you say, they normally come out around Christmas time. Uh, we we're just coming up. We've got a three day weekend, you know. So I, I wonder if that maybe put a few people off, you know. Yeah. Just, you know, some people take a few extra days off to make that three day weekend a, a four or five day weekend, don't they? So. Uh, yeah, but very interesting. The sort of general apathy around it, then. Yeah. So let's see how it does, I guess. But yeah. um, you know, I'd have to say I I saw it over the weekend, and and it was without being absolutely rammed. It it was moderately full. I would yeah. say. Now yeah. that was um, just after lunchtime on a weekend day, so. Actually, I'd have thought it would have been rammed. I'd have thought every seat would have been gone. So yeah. my experience of it wasn't quite as empty as yours, but um, still, still a little bit below expectations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 a film experience—it's not dictated by how many people you've got in there. Because Deadpool, the week before, going off our review, was absolutely fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. There was no issue with that, but the actual. Um, I don't know when something like that, I like the fact that you can go in with a lot of people and have a good time. And a lot of it just adds to the atmosphere, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, it does. It really does. Uh, yeah. That, that's what I wanted really. That sort of everyone laughing together, everyone smiling and you know what I mean? And yeah. 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 It's just missing that. I think to be fair. 
So, yeah. Yeah. No, it was good. It was good. But uh, one thing I would say, Dave, before we do the review, if you don't mind, sorry, yeah, yeah. cut across you, is last week's review obviously was a double whammy with the Deadpool uh, one and two. Yeah. Brilliant. Again, enjoyed the facts. I'm still fact finding as, as we speak and throwing stuff up there. Some great comic uh, pictures and stuff I found and some great little things. The one about him killing Galactus, you mentioned it as well, the Galactus with his voice and stuff. Great one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no. I've seen a, quite a few comments coming back from people as well, and uh, that's great. Yeah, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And and again, it, you know that's what it's all about. It, it, I just love that interaction with people because it, they do really. It's an un- unbelievable film, but not knowing the comic book stuff, I'm quite ignorant to it, and it really sort of. Uh, it sort of calls me out, I think, in some respects, because you're like, you know, you need to educate yourself a bit more because people are telling me stuff on them on the Twitter interactions, and I'm like, oh god, I better go and research that. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's <laughs> yeah, clever, yeah. really clever, really like the Captain America stuff. And some guy had said to me, like, uh, said about Captain America's, you know, he, is he, he idolise him and all this and blah blah blah. And this, someone had said something, not be smart. It was just a nice comment, but. I thought, yeah, I really need to start reading up on this. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. A, a lot of it's down to perspective as well. Um, so uh, he absolutely does. I, I saw that interaction. I, 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 I didn't fully understand uh, the, the comment back, if I'm honest. So Deadpool, I, he absolutely does idolize Captain America. But in terms of the Civil War, he ended up on the opposite side to him. So yeah. Deadpool ended up on the uh, pro-registration side and Cable ended up on the, the anti-registration side. Ah, right, okay. But he still he still idolized him as a person. He just, you know, in terms of his beliefs, he... he uh, thought people should be registered and generally people with that kind of military background you know and you know they do and everyone knows you know deadpool's wade wilson so you know he he doesn't have a secret identity to protect whereas you look at someone like spider-man he's always trying to protect his secret identity because he's trying to protect his family and the people around him ah right right yeah yeah. I, I, i think that's possibly what they were getting at that you know they ended up on opposite sides but but he's still as, as far as i know i haven't seen anything to the contrary where he he no longer idolizes them ah right yeah but good good again because you see you don't think that captain america being so sort of down the line would have that interaction but obviously it's a comic thing as well so that's a good a possible crossover into the avengers day that could be a segue into it because of that comic book history if they did it <laughs> It could be. I mean, another person who idolizes um, Captain America is the Punisher. You oh, know, another fairly R-rated character who uh, you wouldn't necessarily think uh, holds the same ideals as him, but, you know, he, he does idolize him. I never knew that. Yeah, well, there, there you go. I think I mentioned it in one of the earlier episodes. Comics is such a high-volume storytelling medium you know, you've got comics coming out every single month and you've got multiple titles. So there's so many stories out there and they're not 100% consistent. Um, but there's, I mean, there's more out there than I'll ever read in my lifetime. So <laughs> yeah. it's just a question of, you know, which ones have you read and, and 
make up your perspective of that character. Unbelievable, unbelievable. So what we got this week for comic book stuff then, Dave? Well, I did think that some people might think that we're cheating a little bit by just reviewing a Star Wars film just because it's a Star Wars film. But there is a bit of comics background to it. Nice. So, in 1977, that's when Star Wars came out and hit the cinema, isn't it? Yes. Just before that actually happened, though, the Star Wars comics came out, and they were published by Marvel. Now, the story to this actually goes back a couple of years before that. So, in 1975, George Lucas pitched the idea to Stan Lee about making those comics and Stan wasn't really bought in. There was a lot of, uh, think about it. Think about hearing about star Wars before their household names, you know, Han Solo, Chewbacca, Luke Skywalker, who's or he's probably star killer at the time, Darth Vader. They're just words, you know, that yeah. wouldn't have resonated with him. So Stanley was kind of very lukewarm to it and, and sort of said, well, let's make sure the movie's made and, and then maybe we'll talk. And it wasn't until later George Lucas approached a guy called Roy Thomas, uh, who was, you know, a, a writer at the time. He'd previously been editor-in-chief. He, he succeeded Stan Lee, I think. Very, very big name, done lots of stuff, done a really good Conan run. And again, he, George Lucas had tried to pitch the idea, and Thomas wasn't really bought in until he started seeing some of the production sketches, you know, some of the artwork. So even before the movie's been bought in, I think this was around 1976 time and so from that point Roy Thomas was bought in as well and so he's trying to chew off Stan Lee's ear about making these uh, making this adaptation of this Star Wars film that no one had ever heard about so legend has it basically as soon as Stan Lee found out that Alec Guinness was in the movie he was like all right okay well let's do it (laughs) (laughs) so probably uh, who knows whether that's the actual truth but probably the fact that alec guinness was in it just gave it a bit of gravitas uh, and you know it just wasn't some throwaway movie They, they probably had people pitching ideas to them every day of the week didn't they yeah yeah so there was a lot of discussion i i think marvel at the time still saw it as a bit of a gamble because, you know, no no one knew what Star Wars would become. And 20th Century Fox were not really marketing it at all. So it was, a lot of it was by word of mouth, you know, and through people seeing it. When, it. when it eventually came out, you know, people seeing it and then, you know, telling their friends and whatever, it suddenly snowballed into this massive thing. But on opening day, you know, it really hadn't been marketed. So Marvel basically said, well, We'll probably we'll see how we go for the first hundred thousand copies, and they had this deal where they basically got it royalty free, so they didn't have to pay Lucas uh, really anything. And then they said, "Well, after those hundred thousand copies have sold, then we'll renegotiate." Seemed like a good idea at the time, <laughs> <laughs> but probably wasn't because when they rattled through those that first hundred thousand, then it, it was becoming this gigantic monster you know obviously uh lucas and his publisher were 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 in a position of strength to renegotiate then and so essentially the first six issues of that star wars run so this ran from 1977 to 1986 so not quite a decade but lots you know 
almost a decade there. And the first six issues basically were an adaptation of A New Hope. Yeah. And again, even before the first page was written, there was arguments in within Marvel about, well, would this just be one issue? Would it be, you know, 20 issues? It wasn't set in stone what it'd be. And, and I believe Roy Thomas was the one who was absolutely adamant. This is going to, this has to be a six issue story. And the story basically, so what, what Thomas and, and his artists had was uh, an early version of the screenplay um, and, and the artwork to go off. And that was it. So what you see, if you go back and read those comics, it, it's really, really interesting because you can see the changes that have been made. So so little things like they spend a bit longer on Tatooine and sort of show Luke in his dull little life there with his with his mate Wedge, who's going off to be to become a pilot. Yeah. And all his mates seem to call him Wormy. <laughs> Which I can't think of Luke Skywalker the same now, you know, having uh, having gone back and, and reread those. But yeah, so really interesting. Um, other things like C-3PO, you can tell they hadn't seen the movie at this point because just the way he's moving, he's, he's moving like a person would in yeah. the comics, in the panels. Um, there's one scene where, you know, where Darth Vader's doing the force choke on the uh, chap who's disagreeing with him there. Yeah. In the comic panel, he's holding a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't quite know what happened there. But, um, but yeah, really, really interesting. And, and as, that, as those stories were coming out, they would adapt later on Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But in between that, they were kind of making up their own stories. And a lot of this makes up that what, what, what's referred to as an expanded universe that's come from the comics, come from um, the novels and things as well. So really, really interesting. And to just bring it back to Solo, <laughs> so he appeared in, in uh, issue two along with his mate Chewbacca there, which probably isn't a huge surprise because, like I say, those six issues basically follow that story of, of A New Hope. Good stuff, Dave. Good stuff. Just, just before we finish on that then, so Marvel acquired the rights back for Star Wars around, I think it was around 2015, and have put out a lot of Star Wars comics. Um, so Star Wars, they've, but they've done the individual stories for like Leia, Han Solo, uh, Darth Vader. I think the the Darth Vader run is actually really, really interesting. And those comics, uh, I've not read all of them, but the, the Vader one kind of picks up after um, A New Hope. So it's like after New Hope and before Empire Strikes Back. And it's a really, really good read. So if you want to get something that's that's fairly modern, have a look at that Darth Vader run. I, I, I'm pretty sure for some of my head, it, it's around 2015. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff, Dave. Really good. So, Chris, bit of movie background? Yeah. Um, the pre-production for this was around about 2012. It all sort of coincides. I don't know whether – some are saying it was a bit of a sales pitch from George Lucas because he was looking at selling the company, obviously, to Disney. But the inception of, like, a solo standalone film was around 2012, something like that, to, to realistically been going on for years with various um, versions. There was ideas that he could have been in Revenge of the Sith uh, to help Yoda at one point, but he would have been, like, a young lad sort of uh, – you know, 
a down and out sort of kid and stuff like that. And he, they come across him and, and, you know, he's sort of blagging and, and conniving. It helped like the uh, Jedi and stuff, but he never actually came to pass. Uh, I know obviously at one point in Vengeance of the Sith, there is actually the Millennium Falcon docking in one of the stations, but that's about as far as we got for any sort of version of Han Solo in there. We mm-hmm. obviously got Chewbacca in there helping in the final battle. Um, what they did though, uh, when in 2012, Lucasfilms uh, president Kathleen Kennedy contacted the original writer for Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, Lawrence Kasdan, and asked him to sort of meet, uh, talk about the film, um, where they were going to go. This led on to The Force Awakens, but also about Han Solo standalone film. So the, the idea in the film where Han Solo gets his name is something that was at this meeting with... Um, one of the main guys, Bob Eager, as well. And and that was like what was going to be around the film. What are you laughing at? What are you laughing at? <laughs> it's the fact, and I, I didn't like what they did about, no. you know, the way they did, you know, Han Solo in the film. You know, where does his second name come from? And the fact that it's Bob Eager making the pitch, I'm sure it was a very enthusiastic pitch and he was very eager about it. That's that's what made me laugh. I thought you were my researcher. What are you going to say? No, no, it's like (laughs) flanked by by Jim Enthusiastic. That's what well, this is making me laugh. Well, they, they said like Lawrence Caston, who, who'd done the originals, by the time he'd done The Force Awakens, he was physically exhausted. So he actually got his son on board, John, to help him do the writing for Solo, which took about nine months. But they took inspiration, which I find quite hard to believe, having watched the film, from films like Treasure Island, Heat, which is obscure because that's obviously a modern-day sort of robbery thing with Pacino yeah. and De Niro. Whether the dialogue is supposed to be picked, I don't know. Unforgiven, which is a, a Clint Eastwood uh, cowboy film from the early 90s, uh-huh. and various films by the Coen brothers. So I don't get that at all. But I guess it, they're, they're like heist movies, aren't they? So Yeah, yeah. That, that's essentially what this one is, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, true, true. Heat is more than anything. Um, and while this was all going on, the original directors, Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, were brought on. Um, and they were, they wanted somebody who wasn't just going to be an absolute caricature impersonation of Harrison Ford. So obviously, Aiden, um, is it Aiden or Alden? Alden Ironreich. I think but, it's Alden, isn't it? Yeah, Alden Ironreich was brought on. But they were adamant they didn't just want, you know, a copy word for word, everything about me. They wanted him to be his version of obviously a young Harrison Ford and Han Solo as such. Um, and then what, they actually went to visit Ron Howard when he, he took over because Ron Howard obviously then take, took over as director and Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were sort of relieved of their duties because there was just so many things wrong with the film. People had watched it within Disney uh, and Lucasfilm and I remember at the time they, they, they said like it had become an absolute parody. They were trying too hard to be like Guardians of the Galaxy and it just right. wasn't, it wasn't hitting the notes from some of the original screen uh, tests and stuff and, and the audience weren't feeling it. So they were kicked out. Ron Howard came in, good old Richie from Happy Days. And he, I know this from when we did um, Superman 2, obviously they have to reshoot at least 50% 
for Ron Howard to get director yeah, on the yeah, film. Yeah. So I only know that from what we've done. So he actually reshot 70% and a lot of the post-production uh, photography was done. A lot of it was filmed actually in Fort Ventura over in sort of the Canary Islands around it. But it was announced around 15 and then obviously by January 17, they changed director. It was up in arms. And I remember as the great Han Solo once said, we've got a bad feeling about this, but I, I it, it's never, it never hit me that it it was in a great state more than anything, and and even the the production of who was in it. Obviously, you've got Woody Harrelson in it as Beckett, you've got uh, Emily Clark in as Kira from Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. you've got Donald Glover as Lando, and obviously this Alden Heinrich, what he's called, is Han Solo. Um, now, obviously, Ron Howard had previously worked with Lucas Films on different things from American Graffiti, more American Graffiti, Willow. Um, and this is where Warwick Davis was involved in them films, and he has yeah. a, a cameo in the film later on. Um, one of the things as well, which was quite interesting, Dave, though, uh, one of the actors, Michael Kenneth Williams, he was cast as the main baddie, but Paul Bettany had to ke- who come in, who ended up being the main one at the end, uh, because he couldn't do this. Michael Kenneth Williams couldn't do the reshoots. So they actually changed oh, right. the, the baddie through the film, the guy with the scars on his face and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Quite interesting. Um, I don't know. I mean, production-wise, 250 million was the budget. And at the moment, they reckon they're going to double that. Now, it's not going to make, it's not going to be the critical or financial success, well, the financial success of, say, Deadpool on such a lower budget and airing to the audiences. Like I said to you, I watched it this weekend. I wasn't, impressed with the audience size, but looking at it, a word of mouth has spread around the film. So quite interesting. Um, whether it leads on to a, a sequel, I'm not sure. Well, we're obviously going to review it, but it, there is a lot of open-ended stuff on there and there's a lot of things we want to pitch in. But at the moment on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 70%. So it's not as good as Deadpool, but critically it's done very well. And that's over about 103 reviews, which is good to be fair, Dave. Um, I won't, say what we're going to review it, but that's quite interesting, I think, as we go along. Uh, and that's it, really, Dave. I haven't really got much more on the, the film stuff. I, I'll be honest with the people listening. I am winging it off the Star Wars wiki page because uh, we've just been out. It's quite interesting, all this stuff. The, the main stuff I'm interested in is the reshoots because for, as a film, when I, when I reviewed Blade and we both reviewed Blade, I was interested in that they actually changed 70% of that, but it turned out good. This, yeah, I don't yeah. know why with this because it's it's thing everyone leading up to this has not been that enthusiasm towards it because everyone's just like it's it's a turkey because it's Ron Howard's had to come in and try and salvage the project. Yeah, I know there's a lot of stuff in the press, wasn't there? Just yeah. around how the production was troubled and you know it it didn't have it didn't have everything going for it going into it, did it? No, no, not at all, not at all. Um, Ron Howard's a top director. You know, he, he can't knock the guy. He's respected across Hollywood, so they've, they've had to try and get somebody in. I just didn't know before I watched it whether he would grasp the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and I guess just... So just going in... Before we go through the review, I, I think what I'd say, just, just going into the movie, when... When I was a kid, so Luke Skywalker is is who I gravitated to first. 
Now, <laughs> embarrassingly, so you know, me. And, I remember me and my best mate. You know, we'd always be playing Star Wars, and I had darker hair. My mate had like blonde hair, so he was always Luke Skywalker. I was always Han Solo, and that used to grate on me at the time. <laughs> but when you get a bit older, you you end up actually empathizing more with kind of Han Solo's position, don't you? Yeah. Or, or certainly I did. And you sort of see, because he's not, Luke's like just a goody two-shoes, isn't he? Yeah. And he's, you think, if he, in real life, he'd be quite a dull character. You know, he's quite naive, and th- there's different layers to Han Solo. He's, he's a bit more of an interesting character, a bit more of an interesting background. So I think at, at some point in time, I don't know when, but you know, over the over the years, if you'd have said to me, "Oh, th- there'll be a solo story and and it'll explore all his kind of backstory," I think I'd have been well up for that. Whereas now, even going into it, I was kind of thinking, "Of course, I'm going to watch it, it's Star Wars," but I was kind of thinking, "Do I need to see this?" Like, I, he's dead now. I mean, I, I know. You know, he's. I kind of know that there's no real consequence. There's no real. Um, there's nothing really that's going to happen in this story. I don't think that. Yeah. I, I'm going to be blown away by. Yeah, and you know what, Dave? I, I I couldn't have put that better. And I'm not just saying that to agree with you or to the listeners. That's exactly how I felt because. His story ended. Spoiler alert: If you're not seeing Force Awakens, what have you been doing? If you're listening to this po- <laughs> yeah. this podcast, like no, I'm joking, but genuinely, spoiler alert: Obviously, he dies in the Force Awakens, right? Now, I was the same as you. It made me feel quite empty, thinking, "Well, we know how his story goes. We know how it ends. We know we know that there's a gap where they could potentially do a film from Return of the Jedi." to The Force Awakens, so you could also find out how he lost the Millennium Falcon. But then you think, well, who would you get? Because it's Han Solo. You can't use a Han Solo. It's Harrison Ford. So I'm the same as you. I just didn't see the point in it at all. I know we got the original, the second trilogy, which was obviously the first three films, Phantom Menace and stuff like that, to depict around Anakin and Darth Vader and stuff. That seemed to make sense, but this to me again, I'm totally in agreement with you. I, ju- I, I don't know. I just didn't. I just wasn't bothered about watching it. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think you put it absolutely perfect. To be honest, Dave, and me rambling on, but absolutely perfect. So, I, and I'm sure we'll expand a bit more as as we go through the story. So, should we should we go into it? Let's go for it. So again, one of the things that did amuse me a little bit, and I think you you genuinely do just get a bit grumpier and more cynical when you're older, don't you? <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm sort of sat there, and there's some young lads at the cinema sat behind me, and the first opening credits come up, and they're the small ones. It's not the, the scrolling screen kind of thing. It's just that uh, what was it in a long time? Uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, is it? Yeah, yeah. Is that the first that's, little bit? That's usually the line, yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the young lads says, oh, I love this music. 
And I thought, oh, well, you're going to be disappointed because it's the it's only the main Star Wars movies, isn't it? It's only that yeah. main line that has the music. Side stories like this and Rogue One, they they don't have it. And uh, you know, I, I just thought, yep, still got the geek in me. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I know that that music is not coming, you know, and this is only the second of those side movies, isn't it? So yes. uh, yeah, they, they just made me made me laugh a bit, but. I actually think all the way through this movie, just to say a little bit on the score, I was a bit disappointed by it. Yeah. So the the obviously the John Williams stuff that they use sparingly throughout the movie. So the, the the old Star Wars music when that comes on, you're like, oh yeah, that's great. But the rest of it, I, I was pretty lukewarm to. To be honest, I, I thought it was pretty bland and and didn't stir any emotions and and it's not just the fact that you know you've had umpteen years you know you've had nearly 40 years of growing up with that that star wars music even at the time you know it, it's just rousing isn't it the yeah. the music and this was just it just did nothing for me if i'm honest no i'm with you because there's, there's a point in a film later on where um the millennium falcons involved and they just seem to just throw the star wars little theme out constantly you know, and it, it was it was played about five times in the space of about five minutes, and I thought you're just cheapening it now. We've we've built up this little thing to play it because you always have that one bit like him. Mm-hmm. I love in the Force Awakens. I know, like, get slayed, but I love the bit in the Force Awakens when Ray grabs the lightsaber off Kylo Ren in the, when they're fighting yeah, in the snow, and he's yeah, just yeah. sort of thing. And you get that that bit comes in. I love that little score of music, and that like they do in the Last Jedi where they're fighting against the Red Order and stuff. You know, and and I love that bit when he take Snoke out and stuff because the music's yep. brilliant. Yep. Whatever the people think of the film, and I actually like The Last Jedi, but whatever people think of the film, they're the bits you're waiting for. They're, they're, and it always gives me chills, shivers, the hairs on my arms stand up because it's like the Superman music, you know, the original yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, like I've, yeah. I've been obsessed this week. I just segued off this weekend of the Justice League. It's a terrible film, but it's a bit where Steppenwolf, because they've, when they've done Man of Steel, they've never had the Star Wars, the John Williams score. Mm-hmm. And he comes in against Steppenwolf. They're all getting a cane in, aren't they? Batman, Aquaman, yeah, all that. Yeah. And then he comes in, goes, I fight, for, I believe in justice. And the music kicks in, and then he like whacks him. And it comes on for a split second, but it's enough for me to sit there on YouTube going, I'm just going to replay that. I'm just gonna replay. And I, I know what you mean. There was nothing about this that engrossed me into it. But like Rogue One was, it had very much the same pitch and tone, and it was around about the same scale musically as the Star Wars stuff. But you yeah. never heard it until the end. But it it tiptoed around it where you're thinking, go on, go on, do it, do it. And it did, I think, maybe once in the film, but it was enough. But this, I totally agree. It was just off slightly. Just yeah, slightly. yeah, yeah. So we, we get to see that the so the galaxy's in a state of disorder at the moment. So you have these various criminal syndicates competing for these resources like the hyperfuel coaxium. And I honestly couldn't remember. Have, have we heard of coaxium before? No. Before? Before? No. Before? <laughs> no. I'd never heard, unless it was something mentioned in the, in the Phantom Menace trilogy. Uh, I've never heard that in the in the normal, well, the proper three Star Wars films, shall we say, New Hope to Return of the Jedi. I've never yeah. heard of it. I, I, I heard it, and then I, I couldn't think, have I just missed that? Do we know that already? But... 
you know, we know, I, th- I think we know about hyperfuel and hyperdrives, we certainly know about. But, um, so yeah, I mean, we start off on the, on Corellia, which is a shipbuilding world, and you get kind of, uh, like an Oliver type of setup, don't you? So, you know, you've got these orphans who are sent out to, as part of, part of a gang to basically steal stuff for, um, what was it? Proxima, not Proxima Midnight, Lady Proxima, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Proxima Midnight's one of the, um, one of the Black Order from Thanos. That's why I was, God, I kept getting confused. Um, so yeah, so Han and and his uh, his lover Kira are trying to make an escape and, and trying to get away from this gang, and so you end up um, being introduced. She's like a huge sort of centipede type thing, isn't she? This, yeah, this I, I didn't. Approximate. It didn't. It didn't. Um, I remember in the cinema, everyone just started laughing, like, what is this? Because she had a load of jewellery on her, didn't she, and stuff. She comes out of the, the water. Yeah. Because Han's there, isn't he, with, like, t- talking to her. And again, as usual, like the Han Solo we know and love from, like, what happens with Jabba the Hutt, he's, he's trying to get worm his way out of a, a situation, yeah. isn't he, because he's, he's trying to double-cross everybody, basically, because he's trying to get off this uh, this. Uh, um, Corellia. Corellia. He's trying yeah. to get off Corellia, sorry. And, and yeah, and you get this interaction. But again, I don't know. I was like, this guy is trying to be, you know, Harrison Ford. I didn't even think of him as Han Solo at this point. Uh, and I don't know. That just, he just didn't do anything for me. It was a bit predictable, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And, and you know, she's obviously. Uh, She's obviously like a vampire type thing, and she she's, yeah. she doesn't do well with light. So you know, rather than have some double glazing windows on or something, you've got these little thin windows so you can just break through the light, and it you know it gives her a bit of sunburn there, a bit of a blade thing going on. Yeah, and then they 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 make off, and they've they've got this little bit of uh, coaxium, haven't they? And and it's worth a lot of credits. I, I can't remember how many credits, but but a lot, you know. So they they try and basically uh, get themselves passage off the planet. They try and bri- bribe this uh, imperial officer to to basically say, look, take this and and let us through, kind of thing, and then. Actually, it did make me feel a little bit bad. So, so they look like they're getting through customs or security or whatever, and and then uh, Emilia Clark's character Kira, Kira. Gets, gets caught, doesn't she, by the by the gang, and then so they they end up on either side of this customs gate, and uh, I I did feel pretty bad at that point, but I wasn't wasn't fully because you know Amelia Clark is not a a, a two bit kind of <laughs> actor. You know she's going to come back, don't you? So, yeah. so it didn't make me feel bad, but I was like, oh, I wonder where we'll see her again in the in the future. Yeah, yeah. And then Han kind of, you know, <laughs> you had to suspend disbelief a little bit, didn't you? Because you got this huge uh, group of people trying to get off this planet and and. You know, the no sooner had he got through that the Imperial officer had kind of said, Oh, we've got a breach and yeah. but they still failed to actually find him. 
you know, he's he's right there. <laughs> but anyway, so so he ends up and he signs up to the uh, signs up to the Imperial Navy as a flight cadet. And well, this is where we're getting the whole, you know, his name's Han, and then he's saying, "Well, who who are you with? What's your family or whatever?" And there's a pause, and and the guy just says, "Okay, Solo." You know, so it's the Imperial officer guy there who who gives him the surname Solo. And that's the bit that I just sorry I cut across you there. No, no, go. Sorry, that, that's the bit that I was like, oh, I, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just about to say that, Dave. This is where I texted you dinner after you'd um, watched it. Obviously, I didn't want to spoil yeah, yeah. any of the film. You knew what I thought of it, but in broad, as you say, broad strokes, uh, I have a massive problem with this bit. I really have. As a, as a Star Wars fan, I've actually got my foot on my Darth Vader lamp in front of me on his head because I'm ready to kick it because I was so annoyed watching this. You rationalised it more than me, this section, but the bit where he actually joined the Imperial Navy, which really, there's no mention of it, but we'd never know that Han Solo was part of the Imperial side at all, did we? We know we've... So he's, he's got connotations and sort of runs parallel to a bit what happened with Finn in some respects. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's saying he's joined them and he joins them and signs up, and he just says solo. So if we're going off that logic, that officer must have called a lot of people solo that day because yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't just pluck that out the air because if there's obviously other people who are on their own there, if we're sort of trying to believe the world that they're trying to depict and build within the film. So I think I'm with you, didn't buy it at all. It didn't make any sense. But the fact that he was he spent <laughs> three three years in the, the Imperial Navy, and yet in the, the other films we've seen, even in The Force Awakens, it's never, ever, ever once mentioned at all. And I just, it, it doesn't, I just don't believe it. I just, I, I, I don't believe where that's come from, whether it's something in the comics that was never been expanded on. But I, I sort of felt as if my knowledge of Star Wars, which I think is pretty good, I mean, my Star Wars IQ is pretty good, I'm thinking this is absolute nonsense. And I really, really, at that point, I was proper against the film, if I'm being honest. So <laughs> I love Han Solo. Hans, as you were saying about the figures, that's all I had was Han Solo figures. Luke Skywalker, my brother, I had Han Solo figures, that sort of mm-hmm. conniving uh, scoundrels, probably, probably a bit like me, really, blagger. But I, I genuinely, it just resonated with me, that character, and I was really disappointed with that bit. So I, I guess there's two things that come to mind. I would quite like to see like a side movie just following that Imperial officer. Yeah. Because <laughs> I bet he's the most cynical, <laughs> cynical officer in the whole of the Empire. And I could just imagine, you know, if you kept the camera rolling on him rather than following Han Solo around, you know, we, we talked about that Bob Eager. Yeah, <laughs> and you can just imagine some guy sitting down. Oh, great, jolly good! I'd love to join up the navy and fight me some rebels, right? Yeah. Bob Eager. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then Dave, Dave, who are you, Dave uh, and Luke Chris? Annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Dave and Chris turn up to join. Can we join them? Yeah, no problem. So you're Dave Duo and you're Chris Duo. Oh yeah, marvelous. It's always. <laughs> It just was so illogical, Dave. Even for a film, I was like, oh, come on. You know, yeah. I, I don't know why. It just, it just, and I'm sorry to set myself up for the rest of the review, but but genuinely, I was like, this is nonsense. And I can forgive 
practically anything in a film. I will go into a film and love the film as a pure fanboy and think, you know what, even The Last Jedi, which gets slated, absolutely lapped it up. Mm -hmm. But this was just nonsense, absolute nonsense. Well, the second thing I was going to say, I didn't have the same reaction to you as, as that bit. I've got in my head already that he's he's been involved with the Empire. And I don't know where that's come from, to be honest. I think yeah. it's possibly just one of those where it, it's kind of, you know, his his past is a bit ambiguous, isn't it? it it's you don't quite know what's happened. You you get the impression he's been he's a bit of a wheeler and dealer, a bit of a chancer. So he's he's possibly been in there at some point. Or if I've read it in some sort of side movie or something like a side comic or novel yeah. or, or something like that. I do, I do have to say, I tried tried a couple of those novels um, years and years ago, and I, I don't know what it is. I, I just didn't really get on with them. Um, so I, I didn't enjoy them and, and couldn't tell yeah. you <laughs> anything about them at all. But but I've I've had in my head... But I certainly, I wasn't surprised that he was in the Empire, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just me overthinking it, Dave, but I genuinely, I was like, and, it, and I must admit, the three of us sat there watching it, like I say, Asa and uh, friend Mark as well. I was sat in the middle of them both, and we both looked at each other as if to say, where the heck has that come from? You know, and then these, Mark is even more of a Star Wars geek than me, Dave, and probably me and you. He's absolutely... Uh, you know, he, he laps everything up, comics everything. So he, even he said that. He said, I've never seen that in any of the thingies. Unless he's missed something, he's, you know, there might have been a run like you said that he isn't aware of, but we were genuinely all looking like, I, I don't I don't, I don't, get that at all. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to labour on that. It just really annoyed me, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess, especially with the, the Force Awakens, they were trying, like, initial Star Wars, so A New Hope, as it, as it was called later, but, you know, when it first came out, it was just Star Wars, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was very, it was the most black and white movie you could ever put together, isn't it? You know, yeah. the Rebels were the goodies, the Empire was the ba- were the baddies. And I think some of what they did in Force Awakens tried to blur the lines a little bit. And, yeah. I, and I think, you know... In some respects, so does this movie. So, you know, it's not as if everything was great before the Empire started to to take over the whole galaxy. Yeah. There's, you've got all this disorder and people's lives are not very good. And I, I don't know if they're intentionally trying to tell us that, you know, c- could you look back and say the Empire was 100% wrong in everything they did or or did yeah. they bring order to the galaxy as the the emperor would say yeah I, I, I don't know but but essentially for someone who was growing up on that um that shipbuilding planet and they but they basically had no options nothing they they couldn't do anything he's got one way to get off that planet and that's to sign up to the navy for the empire yeah for me, it was like, okay, I, I can buy that. You know, that's that's his ticket out of there. Yeah, yeah. But then, like, obviously, you, you you pan to the next bit, the next scene. He's three years later. 
he's in the middle of a battle, which we see is very reminiscent of like a World War One type battle. It's it's yeah, in the yeah. trenches. I, it was it again though. They, they've got outfits on that we've never seen in any of the Star Wars stuff as, as the Imperial side. They're just like normal soldiers, aren't they? You know, like the, yeah, the way they are. And I don't get that because obviously we get this thing in The Force Awakens where Finn, we actually see a proper stormtrooper. He's just a human being. And obviously when we watch A New Hope, Han and Luke, you know, batter them two guys. And Luke's obviously the short one, as we all know, the gag and stuff, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's small for a stormtrooper. But we, it's never really told that the human beings, you think the robots, it's only in yeah, a yeah, way yeah. that you realise that they're actually... People, they're actually people who've been created into this, and, and basically the DNA has created them into stormtroopers. So it didn't really sit with me because the way the battle was going, it was as if they were part of the rebellion, and I couldn't work it out. And and then we come across Woody Harrelson's character, then comes in, then Tobias Beckett, and Woody Harrelson's just playing Woody Harrelson, which he doesn't yeah. ever film, <laughs> doesn't he? You know, he, he, I mean, talk about uh, rate, you know dialing it in it's just Woody Harrelson he was just he might as well have been it back in chairs or something yeah. it's exactly the same I was, I was thinking like natural born killers yeah natural born killer yeah just it's just the same character that he plays in decent proposal you know that sort of it, it's just him isn't it it's him and I'm, I, I wouldn't say he was amazing I wouldn't say he was bad he was just Woody Harrelson in the film uh, he had a terrible wig on but other than that <laughs> but that didn't make sense to me again because you get this little thing, Woody Harrelson's out of his sort of little gang. Uh, and he's someone who's stolen a uniform off one of the Imperial sort of captains or lieutenants, yeah. whoever he's going to be. And Han Solo looks at his body and he's got these bullet holes in there or laser bullet holes. Um, and there's a bit of interaction and all that. And literally in the blink of an eye, he's like, you aren't real. User, uh, you're not. You, you know, you're not part of the thing. You blah blah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. this fake colonel, who's Tobias Beckett, can then get Han Solo arrested. Well, surely someone else who's who's a colonel or a captain must know that this guy isn't part of their. They're very trusting, aren't they? Yeah, it doesn't make. <laughs> honestly, I really have problems with this first because it's all rushed together. I feel, and this is yeah. where I felt this first twenty minutes was where Ron Howard had reshot everything because he all every sort of subplot and every expansion on the character was lost by him trying to rush through getting everyone together because obviously, I mean, what did you think of that bit, Dave? No, yeah, I, I thought the same again. It, it was just, it, it was a plot going from A to B to C, wasn't it? It, it was just, it didn't flow. It was just, no. it was all very convenient and and not nearly as convenient as something that really grated on me later, but you know, it it just was all very convenient the way that all sort of came together. And the one thing I will say about the stormtroopers, and again, it, I completely agree, it is a little bit weird. I, I guess I was I was interpreting it as there's there's going to be some sort of hierarchy within the army, within the navy, whatever. We did see like a stormtrooper type character, didn't we? When when Han and Kira were were escaping from Corellia, yeah, th- there was that little bit of a chase scene, and there was like a stormtrooper type guard there, wasn't there, chasing them for a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they are around, and like you say, they were in the Clone Wars. So, and we think that's that's before this. 
<laughs> Let's talk about that later. I think, because I think. If we're going to go off any year. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could do. But, you know, when Harrison Ford played Han Solo in A New Hope, to me, he didn't look that much older than this chap who's playing him now. So I was really struggling to try and think, well, when is this? Do we have Stormtroopers? Do we not? I... I, I I'm, I'm with you on that, on the uniforms. That that didn't quite make sense to me. No, and then he gets arrested. They then say, right, we're going to feed him to the beast. Right Now, this, Dave, I'll be honest with you, I know I've gone off on one about the three years. This next bit was the... Oh, talk about Nick Fury levels or Generation <laughs> X levels of just cringe. Yeah. He throws Han Solo into a pit, which is very reminiscent of Return of the Jedi when Luke is in Jabba's uh, lair and he fights that big monster, doesn't he? I must admit, I was expecting a Rancor monster to uh, to turn up at that moment. Yeah, and I knew straight away who it was. And we get this thing where it's all wet, This, this you see this big thudding, and he's got the chain round him, Han Solo, and he's getting pulled towards this monster that's laying in the shadows and all this. And then you see this, and as soon as you see the footprint and the foot yeah, of this monster, yeah. I knew who it was. And, and at this point, he's Chewbacca. And they have a bit of a battle, and Chewbacca's soaking wet, his hair's all disheveled, and, and you know, he's there like, absolutely nailing um, Han Solo. He's just throwing him around everywhere. And Han Solo tries to get better of him. But Dave, I tell you now, I have seen, and I don't want to swear, but I have seen some nonsense in films. But there's a bit in the film where Chewbacca has him upside down. And in none of the films, again, it's ever mentioned, even though we know that Han Solo can understand Chewbacca and he's probably the only one in he really. I think Luke does later on. He, he sort of starts mm-hmm. interacting with none in the late, in, in like a new hope. He doesn't yeah. really understand him, does he? But he does later on. And we know that C3PO can speak hundreds of thousands of languages, whatever he can. He just starts speaking Wookiee to him. And it was the worst thing I have ever seen. I was, it was like, pretty bad, wasn't it? He, he literally turned the monster, who's this maniacal, he just, you know, we've not fed him today, they're, they're saying, and there's people watching, the two guards watching, wincing and all this, and they hear the fudding. And, and he just turns him like that again, and, and a, as an absolute convenient plot line, within the space of 20 seconds, this, this, this monster's gone from absolutely wanting to rip him limb from limb to then deciding, I'll tell you what, Let's escape because you speak Wookie. It was absolute yeah, nonsense. Yeah. Absolute nonsense for me. Do you man. think though he said uh in Wookie, my my mum's name is Martha? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you went like that, he went, it started. Yeah. <laughs> it was just it was absolute. I'm sorry, it was absolute the most convenient nonsense I have ever seen in a Star Wars film. It was worse than anything I've seen in Phantom Menace and, and um, Attack of the Clones. It was awful, absolutely yeah. awful. And it was like, you know, pretend to punch me and just punch this uh, this pole here, and that that will uh, that's holding up the floor. Yeah. <laughs> It's and a supporting, it just it's make, a supporting uh, wall type of thing. Yeah, and I don't know, Dave. I don't. Well, I, we we knew, didn't we? So, okay. So, so let let me break off in, into a second, right? Before we carry on through the plot, a lot of this struck me as just fan fiction. Yeah. So it's things that we knew about, and it's it's just putting it on screen. It's it's adding. 
Well, it's not really adding anything. It's just putting in pictures what we already know. So we already knew that Han had saved Chewie at some point, and so he owes him a life debt. So that's why Chewie's always, you know, basically he's always following around Han and, and he'll do anything for him. And I just thought, you know, this that's quite a big payment, that life debt, because it, it lasted about five minutes and it's not really like Han saved Chewie it's you know they kind of together they saved each other so I kind of felt it was quits there but but absolutely this moment and then when we get to moments later it just struck me like fan fiction it's like you're not telling us anything new it's like it's like a fan's written this yeah yeah But, but was it needed because to me it was like someone exactly right it's like somebody had produced a PowerPoint presentation to Disney and gone, right, this is the film we're making and we're going to have to include this, this, this and this, like it'd been on a forum somewhere. Exactly what you're saying. Like a forum had put together a Star Wars fan forum, what they would want in a film of Han Solo. And it just, it was just terrible. Absolutely not. And then the next bit, Beckett, who's threw him, he's threw Han Solo into this monster then rescues him and get, and he joins his gang. It was like, yeah. what is going on here? You know, <laughs> well, again, just just very convenient, isn't it? So you know, he he needs him to join the gang so that you know they can uh, have this attempted heist and and drive the plot forward. But he also needs him to meet Chewbacca. So let yeah. you know, let's let's spur him on the first attempt, you know, get him arrested so he can meet Chewbacca and then and then we'll feel sorry for him. We're we're down some hands, which they didn't think of before. It was just while they were taking off, they were like, oh, we don't really have enough people for this job. Oh, look, there's two people right there. Yeah. <laughs> All just incredibly convenient, isn't it? Yeah, just nonsense. And, and then obviously when we saw the trailers, we see this – in the trailer, there's a plane high at uh, the plane. Sorry, a train heist, and this train looks great because it's it's going along and it's it's it goes upside down like and it all on the rail in it. It's like got like a three sixty degree movement, which is great. Yeah. Something different. It's yeah. it's believable in the Star Wars universe, so I didn't have an issue with that. But it sort of just went from him and listening, like he said, they're there. They need to sh- steal a massive shipment of coaxium, um, and it's on the planet called Vandor. But but. It was like, I don't know whether they, they put them in the trailers a bit like the Avengers where they were putting missteps in there on purpose. So you sort of thinking the film is all based around this heist on the train. Mm-hmm. The train heist happens literally within the first 20 minutes. So I'm thinking, oh, great. If they're going to do this, which is a bit of action, we get this, you know, it all's going to plan, isn't it? And we get the, um, the main sort of baddie, Emphis Nest turns up, doesn't he? Uh, well, he. But she. Spoiled, she, she, sorry. I was going to, no, but at this point, well, you no, think no, it's a he. Point, yeah, yeah, we yeah, think it's a he. Yeah, that's not right. being sexist or anything, but you do presume it, it's a he. It's, it's a deep speaking. voice, isn't it? Yeah, it's a exactly. So, voice. Exactly. So that's not me speaking out of turn or just uh, being presumptuous. But And then they have a battle and, and all these things goes on and the, the coaxium just, you know, just gets absolutely destroyed, doesn't it? And, um, so, I mean, if... It, if I could cut across you there. So I, I would say I thought this bit was, was it looked 
great. Yeah, it did. Like, yeah. Like you say, I, I thought it looked fantastic. It's basically like an old Western film, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that's essentially what it was. Some of the physics of it threw me off a bit, you know, when like, you know, you, you've got things, uh, you know, part of the carriages are falling off and, and Chewie's still able to stay attached to it. It, it didn't quite make sense to me. Um, but I thought it looked fantastic. Yeah, it did. It did look good. And and what what was I was getting at then, Dave, is what I thought is because they revealed this so early in the film, even though I'd had these problems with Han Solo and the, him speaking Wookiee, I'm thinking, I tell you what, if he, if this is at the start and it was good high octane, you know, Willy Walt the adventure stuff, and there was a little bit of a twist there where it getting destroyed. I thought, I tell you what, there's gonna be some better set pieces as the film goes on. And uh, yeah. Anyway, uh... <laughs> I tell you what, I was I was disappointed with. I did like the little pilot. I I I can't remember what his name was. The little ape guy. I think John Favreau does his does his voice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I th- I thought he was a cracking little character, and I'd, I'd quite like to have seen more of him. Yeah. But yeah. obviously, again, you know, we need him to die because Han has to show his chops as a as being a pilot. Yeah, yeah. And that's like it's all building up to, isn't it? Uh, but brilliant. I mean, that was good, Dave. I, I, th- when it comes to the action stuff, this, I mean, this was probably the best bit of the film for action, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah. For me yeah. personally, anyway, it was a very much a Star Wars setting and the way they expanded on the, the traditional train, like you just said, train robbery scene was great because they made it their own, even down to where the train moved, the physics of it. So, yeah. I was happy with that bit, I must admit. Yeah, but like you say, so they all lose out. Um, the coaxium blows half of this this mountain up, and so you see this this is pretty dangerous stuff as well, this, this hyperfuel. So Beckett basically says, you know, he's got to go back to this chap, uh, Dryden Voss, who's uh, basically a high-ranking uh, boss of, of this Crimson Dawn syndicate. And Han, again, I just I found it a little bit weird. You know, he, he doesn't strike me as someone who's got nothing to lose. I mean, really, that's what the story needs me to believe, that he's got nothing to lose. So he's going he's gonna to take a chance of death or getting his money. You know, and so, so he, takes, he takes that chance. Whereas when I'm watching this scene unfold where he's speaking to Beckett, I'm just thinking, well, just go somewhere else. I mean, surely there, there must be other opportunities to, to go and make some money. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to do a 50-50 on the roulette table uh, of death or money. So, yeah, it struck me as a little bit odd, that one. Yeah, and then obviously Han then comes across Kira conveniently, so that is the mother of all coincidences. You have yeah. got this huge galaxy with all these different types of aliens that have evolved on these different planets. You've got so many people, so many populated planets, and he gets on this ship and it's like, oh, Kira, fancy meeting you here. I was just <laughs> like, my head was in my hands at this point. I'm like, oh, come on. You know, I'm I'm not having this. So even, you know, and again, if we were to analyze Star Wars, the, the initial one, 
you know, it's not the perfect film. There's a lot of cheesiness and coincidences in that as well. But they still kind of have to work for it. You yeah. know, they, they, they end up, they just happen to be, you know, having this battle above Tatooine where you just happen to have this New Hope character who's Darth Vader's son down there. You know, there's a lot of coincidences in that as well. But I just, at this point when he bumps into her, I just think, oh, come on. You try yeah. harder than that, surely. But it quickly redeemed itself, and probably not in a positive way, but in, in the way to make me laugh where, they, they, you know, he didn't really, neither of them really reacted like they were long-lost lovers, did they? It was no. just like, oh, I fancy meeting you here. And, and so there's a bit, though, where Kira sort of says, you know, I've had to do terrible things or, or something like that. <laughs> And he just doesn't he doesn't ask a follow up question at all. He's kinda of like, Oh, thank God, I thought she'd never shut up. <laughs> 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 What's she talking about? You know, this person who you claim that you're in love with and you're doing all these things and you're taking this this fifty fifty bet of death or money to get back to sea and you see her there and you're just like, All right, you've done terrible things. All oh, right, well, cool. It's good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> And that's true because the subplot for the first half hour of the film is him joining the Imperial Nate so he can get back to Corinna because people, they actually say to him, why do you want to go back to that sort of flea pit or whatever? It's someone said, he has an exchange yeah. with someone done it just before he meets him. He's like, yeah, yeah. you know, because I've got whatever he says, I've got unfinished business or whatever he says. So it does, it, it cheapened it because you're waiting for this sort of grab each other in their arms and all this and it just didn't. Because they're kissing and that at the start of the film, aren't they? You can tell that they yeah, love each other. Yeah. And I don't know. Absolute nonsense at this point, Dave. I'm with you on that. And then this bit, I, I have a big problem with the next bit. Now, one of, obviously, the fans' favourite characters is introduced now. So he speaks to Kira. Um, she's, you know, he's saying about they've got to do this, the famous Kessel mines, you know, go find the coaxium and stuff. Yeah. Um, and she says, I know someone who's got a ship. So she takes him away and, and there's a bit of dialogue. We say, well, we, we meet finally Lando Calrissian, which is played by Donald Glover. Yeah. Now, I must admit, I thought he was the best character in the film. I thought he had the smugness. For me personally, the smugness, I mean, I mean, it's not uh-huh. a yardstick, Dave, to say he was the best character of the film, if I'm being honest. But he was the one that I think he got Lando's character more than the Han Solo guy did, if that makes sense. Yeah, that yeah, sort of smug, cocky, cockiness about him. He's an old trustworthy. Yeah, yeah, untrustworthy. <laughs> like Han Solo has a bit of that, doesn't he? The cockiness and stuff and all that. But I, and I like Donald Glover. I thought he was good. I thought he was good. And and we get the famous. We end up with what I didn't understand about this day. We get the, the card game now, don't they? Sabak, where where yeah. it's like Han Solo just coincidentally conveniently gets on this game of Sabak with Lando. Flags him saying he's got a ship. Yeah. No proof that he's got a ship. No one even questions him. He can just sit down. He Lando's obviously got like a, a card thing up his sleeve, which Han Solo sees afterwards, doesn't he? It's like a clicker thing. Uh, yeah, which he's yeah. making him he's basically uh burying the cards and stuff like that and, and flipping the cards so he can win. Uh now he loses the game, right? But yet they still go on his ship and go and use him and get. I and mean, obviously we see the Millennium Falcon. I just didn't understand that. 
I was expecting him to lose the game, them to go after Han Solo, bit of interim, maybe a bit of a fight, blah, 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 a bit of common ground, uh, or something happens and he end up on the Millennium Falcon and he has no choice but to help them or, you know, something like that. But it just, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just didn't, the pacing wasn't right. I just didn't understand it. So I think the the thing that grated on me a little bit was when they sit down to the to the card game, and like I say, there's so much like fan fiction scripting going on. I think it, well, well, we know that Han wins the Millennium Falcon from Lando in a card game, but going it when he sits down, I think there's no way he's going to win that right now. Yeah, and I thought. It's going to be like an end credits type of thing. You know, they'll just come back Marvel style. They'll go to an end credit and then he wins the Millennium Falcon. And and I guess it's, you know, you've seen that many movies where there's a bluff and then a double bluff. You know, you're kind of half expecting it, aren't you? Yeah. And, and Dave, sure I think written he, this. <laughs> yeah, quite. Well, that, that's what I say. I mean, it, for a lot of the, the movies that we review, you think, Hats off to the writers, you know. I just did not see that coming at all. Whereas, you know, most of this you you saw coming, didn't you? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can't think now. Why? Why did he end up? I mean, he's convinced, isn't he, with this um, with this offer of of loot essentially so he's isn't he trying for like 50 percent and then they say like 20 percent and then so they're doing that negotiation and he's, he's trying to 40 percent and they end up agreeing 25 percent of getting all this coaxium so you know essentially it'll be it'll be rich yeah. when when they do this job so that that's why they end up taking him along but he's pretty uh pretty trusting seeing as he 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 didn't get a ship that he was owed from that card game, isn't he? Yeah, just I don't know. It didn't make any real sense to me, Dave. It was not like they blackmailed him or anything like that. It would have made more sense because Han lost the, the card game and there was other people at the table who probably, you know, they made, what they should have done, I thought, was they should have made the people around the table like proper scumbag baddies, you know, like a bit like when you see Han in the first, uh, in the New Hope when he blasts that guy away, don't he? He says, like, mm-hmm. Jabba's looking for you. And it should have been one of these where Lando wins the game against all of them and they're going to sort of kill him, but he wins outright sort of thing by winning. But then Han realises that he's playing with a, a, a mechanism to give him the best card sort of yeah. up his sleeve. And then he blackmails him and says, well, I'll go back and tell them guys that. That's how I would have played out in my head. I'll go back and tell them guys who are using this and he takes it off him. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would have made more sense because... You lose a game of cards, he bets on his ship, but there's no mention of the fact that Han Solo owes him for a ship. So, well, there is, yeah, because there is coaxing. Forget about it. Yeah, just like I forget about it. And I must admit, Dave, we, we go to the Millennium Falcon, and I, I wasn't convinced by this. They have this thing now, bringing these new droids in. This L3, who is Lando's sort of... Yeah. Second hand... Uh, second hand. It felt second hand, the acting. But the, the right hand... Uh, woman droid it just sounded like uh phasma out of the force awakens the, the girl out of um you know game of so, thrones yeah i thought it was that and i got back home and imdb'd it and it, it wasn't it was it's a different actor actress i just didn't think it was convincing because i thought the droid in rogue one was brilliant yeah that that whatever that was called um 
deep. Uh, is it deep? I, I know who you mean. You know it's, what I mean. But I thought the drive was brilliant. Guy, guy who plays. Um, he, he does a lot. He was in. He was in last week's Deadpool two as one of those cameos. He, he did a lot of Firefly. I can't remember what his his name was, but but he was really good. I I agree. There was something a little bit off, and I thought as well. You know, there's there's a lot of you know uh, dirty washing coming out of, coming out at the minute, isn't there? Yeah, about Hollywood. Yeah, and uh, you know what's his face? Weinstein. Weinstein. You know, he's he's just been he's just been charged or not charged. He's he's been found guilty, I think, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you've had all this Me Too campaign and stuff like that, and and campaigning for for uh equal pay and stuff like that and i thought you've got this this robotic character who's who's you know clearly female and it seemed to me they were just making a bit of a joke of the whole thing now i'm probably i i may be just joining two things up that in no way should be joined up but as soon when i was watching it that's what it felt like to me. It felt like you're cheapening this whole Me Too campaign and and what that stands for. And and you know, it's it's just a bit silly, isn't it? You got this female ditzy robot who thinks that you know Lando's got the hots for her. And, and look at that, isn't it funny? Yeah. It, it just it it really really jarred with me. And and I'm not sure if I'm just uh being oversensitive to something that like say two things joined up that shouldn't be but honestly that that's how it came across to me no i'm with you dave i i totally totally agree totally thought it was absolute nonsense and i, and I wasn't convinced or even buying into the character and and not because of it's a female character by any means because phasma's a good character in in the force awakens and the last jedi I, 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 you know she's a great actress she's great in game of thrones the girl who plays him but genuinely it, it there was it felt like there was no chemistry and no sort of connection which later on in yeah. the film I, I wasn't bothered with with what happens between lando and and this droid because it just felt like they were just doing lip service to the fact that they introduce someone they have to have a droid with them yeah, and I thought they, I thought in Rogue One, quite honestly, I thought they did a really good job of very quickly making you, um, making you like all the characters, actually. Yeah, probably some more than others, but the droid there. BB 8, yeah. Uh, not BB 8, it's in, um, that's in the, the later ones, isn't it? Oh, so, Rogue so in, Sorry, in Rogue Dave, One, yeah. the sarcastic yeah. guy, and, you know, he, one of them gets shot and, and he's like, did you realize that wasn't me? You know, he's yeah. just this sarky, cynical robot, isn't he? I, I really liked him. And so, you know, was, was gutted when he went and spoilers for Rogue One when, when everyone goes, but K2SO. K2SO. That's the yeah. one. Um, so whereas this one, I'm, I'm with you. I, I didn't really care. I thought it was a bit of a joke character. I thought, well, pfft like you say, do they have to just put in a sassy robot or something? Um, and then, you know, she gets killed. And, and I didn't really feel any kind of impact with that at yeah, all. Yeah, and that didn't make any sense either because they get on Kessel, 
obviously, and they all sort of go in separate ways. And this droid then, which is huge droid, you know, decides to then start taking the uh, bolts off, like what you had on R2-D2 and that, and the sort of um, slave oh, restraining. bolts. Yeah, the restraining bolts, like a slave bolts and stuff. And then it just, a chain of events happens where all the droids start revolting. But just initiates a, yeah, a, re- a complete revolution from one restraining bolt. Yeah, being, uh, everyone, yeah everyone just decides that all the droids just start taking the bolts off and then restraining but But then... This character's probably only in the film for about 15 minutes. But the, yeah. because of what we're saying before about the fact that all the relationships between everyone seemed rushed and, and it was like little 10-minute subplots of interaction, like uh, mm-hmm. Lando has this interaction with L3. Yeah. And I just didn't believe it or care. So L3 then, this, then gets absolutely obliterated. And we're supposed to believe that Lando, as they're trying to escape, Lando's absolutely mortified and he runs and grabs um, and sort of picks a body up because he's been ripped in half at this point. Yeah. And, and that reminded me a bit of A New Hope where they were trying to get off the Death Star, that setting, and you've got this thing where uh, Han Solo standing and firing like Harrison Ford does, the way yeah, his stance yeah. was in that. That was good. That's a yeah. fans, that, That's the sort of stuff that I would have wanted. The little subtle nods, to not not the stuff where they just threw it into your face. If say, hey, look, like a, yeah, it reminded yeah. me of David Brent. You know, like when when when, <laughs> okay. when he does something, and quite ob- I know I'd have to throw it in there, Dave, but he quite obviously goes to the office. Like it's a joke that oh, it's a joke here. Look, look, look. Or like there's a bit in there where they've got um, what's that little thingy Johnny Vegas used to do for the tea adverts? Was it Fat Eric or something? The little oh, uh, not Flat Eric. That, Flat Eric. You, I know, you know I what know. I mean. I know Flat Eric, but yeah. um, the little yeah. monkey from the, the little monkey, yeah, and he does it, doesn't he? On it's on the desk on Dawn's desk, and he's pointing to it going yeah. like that, like trying to sell the office as that girl who yeah, started new. Yeah. And that's what it felt like. It felt like they were throwing it in front of your face and waiting for the light to go on for you to go. Oh look what they've done! But it was just, it just wasn't subtle. And that yeah. bit was, and obviously, we then get this scene where. Han, because he's been hit now, because he took L3, Lando then conveniently gets shot, so he can't fly the Millennium Falcon. So then we get Han being told, you've got to fly it. And yeah. we get the iconic scene, which was nice. Again, another nice scene was him and Chewie together in the, the cockpit for the first time, don't we? And he, he, yeah. And that was nice, but we get the whole um, gun thing, and then... What I didn't understand is, you know, Beckett's shooting away there and he's doing the Luke Skywalker from New Hope where he's he's in, like, the, the gun turret thing. Yeah, yeah. But they then decide that L3, his memory, is the only thing that's going to save them. So they then sort of impregnate it into the Millennium Falcon. And I just thought, oh, this is ridiculous. I just, yeah, I, yeah. It's just nonsense. I'm sorry. I know I'm, I'm really on a downer with his film day, but it's so just... he he mentioned earlier, hadn't he, about um, because she is so sassy, you know, he's tempted to just reboot her, you know, just wipe her memories and everything. But she's got this this fantastic catalogue of, of uh, navigational maps and what have you. So that little bit of dialogue there a little bit earlier tells us, oh, right, well, okay, well, if we just plug her into the Millennium Falcon, we can get all these maps, and that's yeah. great, and that's how we can uh, that's how we can do the Kessel Run, you know? So they, they, they encounter a, um, an Imperial cruiser, don't they? And so yeah. it's right in their way, and so they have to go off 
and take this basically this uh, avoid this imperial blockade and take a take an uncharted course through uh through the kessel run and that's how you know he does it in 12 parsecs now again, at this point i'm just thinking fan fiction okay yeah. or, or i'm thinking slight fan fiction but also for the last 40 years and and i've got to say even you know going back years and years and years that line jarred with me you yeah. know is because it a parsec is a is a unit of distance and so when he says he's done the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs, it's like saying you did the 100 metres in 100 metres. Yeah. It, it, it's weird. It's a nonsense. But what they've done is they, they've written this, this whole little sequence into the film to explain that sloppy bit of dialogue. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. to basically say, ah, well, because it's all time and space and all that sort of stuff, it's actually doing it in a shorter distance than what you know. Well, what if you did it in twelve? What if you did the hundred meters in two hours? You know, it, it's still it doesn't tell you how fast something is. And again, I'm just thinking, oh god, this is this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so. um but yeah, so we now get so we're now we're we're led to believe. Ah, right, okay. So everything we've seen after, you know, you've actually got this this L three robot is the actual Navi computer that they're referring to in in a New Hope. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, like you've explained it pretty much how I thought. Is again, it's just pandering to the needs, and and the problem Disney have got now is they're oversaturating the Star Wars world, there's a lot of stuff that just didn't need answering. Your, your imagination can tell the story. Do you know what I mean? Like the, It would have made more sense for him to actually just do a completely different adventure and, and, and everything else about the film, if that makes sense. You know, you know what I thought? I thought they did a great job with Rogue One because it was taking a tiny bit. It was taking a, a line out of... A new hope about how did they get hold of the plans? That, that was all you knew, and and I think the response was something you know. Was, there was a great cost to getting hold of these plans, and it created these characters, this whole storyline that you bought into. I think I think they did a great job. We don't need to keep going back to Skywalker to Solo to Leia. You don't have to keep going back to them. You've got this massive galaxy. <laughs> you know? And when I was going back, actually reading the the old Star Wars comics, you know, in in the first issue, you know, they they go to length to to sort of explain to you this is not Earth, this is not in the future or anything. This is just a completely separate galaxy. Could be in the past, could be in the future, could be in the present. Don't don't worry about it. It's not Earth. So they've got all of this to play with and create all these stories. You don't have to keep going back and telling us stuff that we already know. Yeah. And, and I think as well, though, Dave, I also think it cheapens the older films now because they didn't look, I know we're going to review it at the end, but they've not actually rogue one was great. A great film. I, I, I totally liked rogue one. And it was within the star Wars 
realms. I actually probably think the three film that's come out is probably the best one, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. it cheapens that idea in your head of what they were, that there was adventures going on that you're never going to see. I think that just... Do you understand what I mean? The immersion of the film. Yeah, yeah. Taking yeah. the immersion away by just literally telling you walk, walk by walk, step by step, how this happened. It's like, I don't really care, for being honest. I think one thing that I will say is, uh, as a positive at, at this bit. So in A New Hope, when Luke sees the Millennium Falcon, and he goes, what a hunk of junk. Yeah. Again, as a kid, you're looking at it and thinking, what are you talking about? That looks amazing. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, is there a better looking spacecraft that we know in science fiction? No. Not, not, not one that I love anymore. Not, not from the Star Trek universe or not anything that I can think of. I just think the Millennium Falcon is the best uh sort of spaceship that that I can that I can think of. Now when Lando had it, it 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 looked a bit whiter. You know, the bit at the front. I thought know, that it, it was different, wasn't it? It was all solid, wasn't it? Yeah, Whereas, I kept thinking, is that me, Dave? Sorry to cut across. I kept thinking, I'm thinking, I'm sure there's a gap in it. Yeah, yeah. So when when Lando had it, there was. And by the time they come out of the castle run, they've got all scorch marks. There's bits blown off the side. The bit off the front is now missing, very conveniently shaped, you know, that looks <laughs> looks like it, it was made that way. Um, so I kind of thought, all oh, right, okay. So if, if you're used to seeing these things all polished up and everything, um, and when you see the Millennium Falcon in A New Hope, it looks like a hunk of junk. Maybe okay, I, I can get that. They they went to some lengths to, I think, again to explain that line of it being a hunk of junk. When you know, to most of us fans, it it looks fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if it's, it's the lack of intelligence of the audience. Do they, do they think we're all that daft that we don't know the backstory? There's not going to be many people going to see this. Don't know what Star Wars is about. So, you know, maybe. Now, is this movie for us, though? Yeah, yeah. Or, or is it for the next generation of fans? They used to say in the uh, in the comics, so Stan Lee used to say, everyone's picking up a comic for the first time. So when I was reading, like, X-Men in the 80s, it would say every single issue about the fact that Wolverine's got adamantium claws. Or, or, you know, that Daredevil has his, um, he's blind, but all of his extra senses are heightened. It would say that in every single comic. Now, if you're reading every single comic, it gets a bit annoying. Yeah. But if you're picking it up from the newsstand or whatever for the first time, well, you do need these things explaining to you. Yeah. And I just think that. <sighs> If, if I'm to be a little bit forgiving, as a filmmaker, it must be tough. Are you making the movie for the for the fans who you know grew up on the initial Star Wars, suffered the prequels, and and are now watching this Renaissance, or are you making it for the younger fans who yeah. maybe don't haven't picked up and discussed to death with their mates around, you know, all these other things that have happened about these throwaway pieces of dialogue that happened in the past. 
I, I, I genuinely don't. I, I think they're probably trying to make it for the majority. Yeah. But probably leaning towards, you know, the younger side. Yeah, and, and you're right because the, the, it's Disney. You're building a franchise, aren't you? So you, you've got to – that's where I think it was. When the first one came out, like New Hope, and I know we keep going back to it, but it wasn't really one or the other, was it? Yeah, I mean, it's classed as a U, which is, un, you know, when you look yeah. at it now, it's, it's unusual because that's like under five. But there is some bits in it when you look at that, you know, Empire Strikes Back, especially at the end and – uh, Return of the Jedi, you know, like burning Darth Vader's body on a fire is not exactly something you want to show in a five-year-old. What about it- the Ewoks um, cannibalizing people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. You know, uh, obviously they they try to cannibalize the heroes, but uh, very clearly when they defeated the Empire, you've just got all the stormtrooper heads, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. So you, 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 it's like the, the catering to the younger audience, but they're also losing the ones that have stuck by the franchise for 40 years with things like this. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, at this point, we're probably about three quarters of the way through the film, aren't we? And I'm, I am really disappointed, Dave, at this at, at this sort of section of the film. Yeah, and I think it, what I would say is it still looks great. It still looks like an expensive movie, doesn't it? The yeah. special effects and everything are, are still top-notch. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not too far off in terms of where I'm, I'm feeling this is at the moment. And like I say, definitely with this point, I, I'm just thinking fan fiction all the way. Yeah, exactly. And then we get this thing where Emphis has been chasing sort of Beckett um, and, and Hanson. We've had like, you know, the, the couple of battles and near misses, haven't they, where they were nearly caught him and they got away and all that. And then they reveal that Emphis is actually part of the rebellion and trying to stop the Empire from gaining power, which is all to do the coaxium. Um, and again, Han Solo just becomes totally a different person, doesn't he? He wants to sort of help him then and, and trick Voss uh, into sort of double-crossing crossing him, really. But I don't know. I, I, I didn't really care at this point, Dave, if I'm being honest. I, I was just like, this is just nonsense. So one of the things that I, I okay, so when um, when Enfys reveals that you know she's this Celtic-looking uh, ginger-headed female, yeah, the way the camera zoomed in, I'm thinking, are we supposed to know who this is? Yeah, I, I, because I don't. <laughs> And I, I, you know, again, I'm not sure was she in uh, some of the side stories, maybe um, possibly could have researched that one before we did the podcast, but just the, the way it zoomed in. I wasn't sure, are we supposed to know it or is it just the fact that she's a woman and it's like, da, 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 you know, fancy having a woman leader, you know? But there was a guy in the background with like a, a medical mask on. You know, and very striking eyes. One of the one of the other rebels, and I I can't remember where it was from, but he was in one of the other movies. I am sure he was in Rogue One, just in the background, but a very distinctive look to him. Ah, right, okay. 
and again, in in if I was a kid, I'd be able to tell you the name because I'd have probably had the figures, but no idea who's the name. But I'm sure it was it was Rogue One, and like I say, he was just in the background, a non-speaking part. But I thought, ah, okay, so that's how you join in these things up a little bit with just subtle nods like that in the background. So I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that he was there, even though you know I have no idea. It, it yeah. could be. You know, you've got all these different breeds, these different aliens and stuff, but you just assume because he looks the same as a guy I've seen before, it, it must actually be him. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and um, then we, we get like, uh, sorry to cut across you, Dave. Yep. Um, we get this thing where they all team up and, uh, you know, Voss sends his cloud riders, don't need to kill Emphasis team of soldiers, but they then kill the cloud riders and basically Voss is totally defenseless, isn't he? And, and, we end up with like a battle between him and uh, Han Solo to a point, but he's getting the better Han Solo. And then Kira comes into her own, doesn't she? And she just absolutely nails him and, and sort of kills him, takes yeah. him out of the game, yeah. um, which is fine. But I must admit, at the end of the, 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 the fight scene, it was pretty good. It was nice, a bit of uh, fighting and stuff. He wasn't really convincing as a baddie, if I'm being honest. He was just... I don't know. It just I, I didn't really. You knew he was going to get his comeuppance because he's never mentioned in any of the other Star Wars stuff. So it's not like yeah. he's going to get away. So he's, even if they're creating this world and bringing characters in like uh, Emphis and that, you knew that this baddie was going to get his comeuppance, which he duly did. But then I knew what Kira then says to Han, like, you need to go and save Chewie from Becky because Becky's double crossed him and he got off with like uh, held Chewie hostage and that. Yeah, and he said he'll join him shortly. Which sort of sets up a sequel if you really wanted a sequel. But I knew that she wasn't going to join him because I yeah, it's pretty pretty obvious, wasn't it? Isn't it right in your face? But but again, it's it's part part of knowing what's coming. So you know the real. If there is a romantic story, if you if you ignore the brother sister thing, you know, yeah. and you just put that to the back of your mind, and you think, well, the the real romantic story is, you know, it's Han and Leia. So you've got you've got no skin in the game at all with this relationship, have you? No. No, you know, and I, I thought, well, you know, in that final battle, well, I, I thought, well, there's a good chance she's going to die here. And yeah, then you say, oh, well, she's, she's kind of some sort of super assassin. So when she's talking about all these things that she's done, she's obviously, you know, she's a bit of a Deadpool, like, you know, so she's, she's taken lots of people out. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, not sure if I care. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. And I've got a real problem with this. I mean, you have spoken about this next scene with her um, because – in the room that they're in, it's sort of like a circular dome type room, isn't it? And all the she, she's in there, hand goes, and all the blind stroke shutters come down on this room, don't we? And then mm-hmm. we get this hologram come up, which I wasn't expecting. And this was a, a character that should have been in a lot more films than he was. He was a great baddie, but we get the we get Darth Maul talking to her. Yeah, you know, Phantom Menace, the main man, he should have been in probably that whole trilogy, if I'm being honest, to sort of pass over the torch to Darth Vader, but it never happened. In um, those whole prequels, he was the best thing about it, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was brilliant. He was a horrible one. He was a horrible, and he had the double-ended lightsaber, which was totally different than what we'd ever seen. Uh, even though it was set before A New Hope, it was still believable that this guy was an absolute maniac. 
and he was—he was, he was like a hybrid Jedi. One, he was—he he was everything that you would want as a baddie in a Star Wars film, even more. Uh, which, which was great. I mean, Darth Vader is the ultimate baddie, you know. I know, but you'd seen that the the fight sequences and choreography had come on so much. Yes, since you know the seventies, where you know you had very kind of mechanical sword fights between you know Ben Kenobi and. Or Obi Wan and and Darth Vader and then Luke and Darth Vader. You know, it was, it was pretty uh, by the numbers stuff. And then you get this Darth. You get Ray Park, don't you? Yeah. You know, he's done loads of stuff. He was he was towed in X Men as well, wasn't he? But yeah, you know, real good martial artist, and and he was just fantastic. And some of the fight sequences between him and Qui Gon. Jin was it? The, the, and Obi Wan, uh, yeah, brilliant. And Obi Wan were just brilliant. It's probably the one thing I do remember from the prequels, to be honest. But this blew my mind, not because it was a cameo that I wasn't expecting, but I was thinking, when is this? <laughs> yeah, because he was cut in half at the end of Phantom Menace. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> If anyone uh, wants to go back and watch that. So he, he was dead then. I was skeptical about ordering foundation online. I can't even find a match in stores. Then I discovered Il Maquillage. Their online quiz found my exact shade in seconds. With Try Before You Buy, you can try your full-size shade at home free for 14 days. But I was obsessed on day one. It's so lightweight and natural. It's literally my skin in a bottle. Take the quiz at ilmakiage.com slash quiz. That's I-L-M-A-K-I-A-G-E dot com slash quiz. And this guy looks a few years younger than, than Harrison Ford did in The New Hope. But let's be generous and let's say 10. Yeah. But Darth Vader was about eight years old in Phantom Menace, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a young kid. So, so, so in that time, Anakin's grown up. He's had a relationship. He's you know fathered some children. He's joined the dark side of the Force, become Darth Vader. His offspring has grown up, and let's say Luke. Well, let's say he's eighteen in A New Hope. Harrison Ford has been using some really good kind of uh, facial cream to keep himself looking young, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just, I, I can't, unless there's something obvious I'm missing, it's just completely messed up the timeline. And and I haven't Googled this. I haven't gone and, and sought out, because when we do our reviews of these cin- cinema releases, I, I don't want to be influenced myself so i haven't gone and and sort of sort out well how does this timeline actually fit together because i'm pretty confused about it quite honestly right now yeah yeah and were you i I don't know because you you look his uncle owen dies in the first in a new luke's uncle owen who's obviously darth vader's uh you know anakin's brother isn't he um so He's not mentioned, obviously, in this trilogy. Fair enough, the first trilogy, whatever. But but he's about fifty years old in that um, 
that's in a new hope. In a new hope. He, yeah. He's 50 years old, right? Let's let so we're going off the fact that Darth Vader is probably 50 years old because we get to see Anakin Skywalker and the Return of the Jedi, which is the same. He's obviously Obi-Wan is older. He's we're saying roughly he's late 60s, 70 odd when he, he gets uh, taken to that immortal lightsaber in the sky in the new hope. So there's about 20 years between Obi-Wan and Anakin, right? So he's 50 odd. It doesn't make any sense. The only the only way that makes sense is if he didn't actually die at the end of Phantom Menace. So if he didn't die, mm. where has he actually been when when all the other stuff was going on, the Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith? Because for me, do you think he's had the little Deadpool legs? I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see that again. But yeah, but yeah. these little Darth Maul. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm totally with you on it because I was like, where, where or how? Has has he, um, where or how is he he's still alive? Because for me, this film is in between Revenge of the Sith and Rogue One. Rogue One is literally before A New Hope because that's yeah. how we get the deaths. Even if it's six months before A New Hope, whatever, that's literally how. Well, no, it did. I mean, it literally where Rogue One finishes. Yeah, it leads on. Sorry, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. End. Sorry, sorry, you're right. And Princess Leia gets the plan. That's sorry, right. yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. Sorry. So that's that's that timeline. What has gone on? Because bear in mind, he gets killed at the end of Phantom Menace. He's eight, Anakin. By the time Revenge of the Sith is finished, he's about 20-odd, isn't he, roughly? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're going up 12 years. What's he been doing? Has he been an oldie somewhere? Is he? I, I, I'm with you. I, I'm going to research it afterwards. It's absolute nonsense, Dave, absolute nonsense. And there's no explanation for it. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe... So, so let's research it after, maybe, <laughs> and we'll see within about five seconds. All right, that's how it works. But right now, you know, and I wasn't sure if you'd think the same way, but I, I'm just left utterly confused by it. A- apart from the fact that, you know, a Darth Maul, something that expands on Darth Maul, I'd be up for. You know, in the yeah. same way that in in the way I was saying years ago, I probably would have been for a Han Solo movie. But you know, he was just he was an underused character, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, expanding on that, I, I could get behind that. But I kind of I can't suspend disbelief that much. I, I do need to know at least roughly how this timeline is supposed to be working. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I. I I'm with you. I'm with you. There might be a logical explanation, but something's gone wrong somewhere, Dave, as far as I can see. Yeah. So let's let's have a look after. Yeah. Um, but essentially, you know, we, we just wrap everything up in a bow at the end, don't we? So, you know, Kira is obviously going to become this this kind of assassin and, and maybe she'll have some kind of force influence or something i tell you what what did make me laugh darth maul shows up and it's the big reveal but then he's on this like projector and he just fires up the old you know double-ended lightsaber but you're just yeah. on a you're just on a conference call with someone else. What what are you trying to prove? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you do that? It's yeah. just a bit weird, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, I honestly don't. I mean, is she supposed to be some sort of Jedi, do you think? Or Well, I, I, I don't know. You know, they could go that way, couldn't they? Like I say, I can't wrap my head around, has he been, you know, in a cave growing his legs back for 30 years or something? Or It, it doesn't quite make sense to me, but they, they could go that way. Now, when... You mentioned something uh, near the start of the show that, you know, it, it didn't really feel like Star Wars. Now, if they'd have started throwing in lots of Jedi references, then I yeah. really would have spit my dummy, I think. You yeah. Know, right? Because in A New Hope, Han is the cynic, isn't he? That he's seen all these things and he's he's never heard of this force thing, or you know. And, and, and they refer to this ancient religion. And it's like, well... For the prequels, it's only like 20 years ago or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're talking about a film that uh, was 40 years ago, so we don't talk about Star Wars being an ancient film. Ah, right. You might be. Um, So so anyway, yeah, just... uh... I've got the answer, Dave. Oh, go on. I'm going to read this out. So this is is off... uh... This is a Hollywood reporter. Darth Maul, the Phantom of Solo, is revealed to be in charge of Crimson Dawn, which is the criminal organization Emily Clark's care is loyal to. But movie audiences apparently saw Darth Maul killed by Obi-Wan in Phantom Menace. It turns out that being cut in half and then falling into a seamless, endless hole wasn't quite as lethal as it would be. Because 13 years later, the animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars revealed that as it happened, Maul had survived both events was already looking for revenge. In the final episodes of Clone Wars, season, uh, the fourth season reintroduced Darth Maul, driven insane by his memory as a result of his injuries, discovered after more than a decade by his brother. He's got a brother, wonderfully named Savage Opress. He was eventually restored to mental health and given a new cyborg upgrade to replace his missing legs. Now, come on. So, so this that is just <laughs> absolute... None. And there's more about this, Dave. I'm going to send it to you, but that is absolute. Are we going to find out that the Emperor's not actually dead as well? Because yeah, he, he, he sort of took a similar tumble, didn't he? I mean, I, I've, I'm just grabbing bits of stuff out of this article. I'm going to send it to you, but so, this is about as believable right, as a film. So, so before you'd read that, we said, or you said, you know, the only way this could be is if he survived it. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the that's the only logical way. But it's not like even in that short dialogue with Kira, he mentions it. You know, like as if to say, I've been after these ever since I got cut in half, or some sort of yeah. Just all it needs is one line to explain. Ex- explain. That's that's another new word I've made. Explain. Explain. Yeah. That's how bad it was. I'm making words up again. But how illogical that didn't make sense and and whether that's because of the reshoots it's just something that Ron Howard thought I haven't got time to do this we've got to get it finished we'll just have to let people's imagination run wild or he thinks the audience is that clever that the only ones who are going to watch this are people who've read the comics and understand that he didn't actually die because I didn't know he'd not die he'd not come back to life yeah and I I must admit the I started to watch that Clone Wars um and I, I just 
it, it didn't resonate with me at all, to be honest. And and again, it's one of those things. As a as a kid, I I remember discussing with my mates and stuff because they they kept making references to these Clone Wars, and it's like, what's happened? And and you know, you're so interested in trying to find out what is this backstory. But I, I tried to watch those cartoons, and and it it was pretty hard going, and and so I think I lasted about half of one, and then gave up. But yeah, so I, I would count those as part part of that expanded universe. Like say the 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 cartoons, the comics, the novels, all of that stuff that that they could, if they wanted to, draw on in the movies. But but yeah, I I I, th- I think they could have done it better, couldn't they? Like if he'd have just stood up, and yeah. and you saw some cybernetic legs or something, maybe. You know, I, I've, I've still got my money on the Deadpool thing. He's he's growing there. <laughs> maybe <laughs> and we got, get we're gonna maybe, get a Darth Maul basic instinct. Maybe, maybe he's got Yoda's legs or something. I don't know. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, and I just he just lost the whole film. Even though, as you can tell by my tone in this this uh, podcast, he's not been positive. It just lots even more validity for me. They've brought back again. Talk about fan fiction, Dave. This is the yeah, ultimate yeah, yeah. fanboy appreciation, bringing Darth Maul back, because every fan always said, as we've just both said it, why did they kill him off and they've just brought him back? So what's going to happen now? Is he going to turn up in the, in the next Star Wars one when he's about 160? Is he going to be in there as the, as the baddie? I, I, yeah. Absolutely. Why was he never in any of the other films? It's just no reason for it at all. I I think the the only way I'd have wanted to see Darth Maul is you know a, a, again another prequel type side story where you know you learn a bit more about him and some of his adventures before he gets cut in half. There, yeah. not resurrected. You know that uh, that's too much for me. Yeah, but, you can't survive. I don't care what alien race you're from. You no. can't survive being cut in half. But why did the Emperor never feel his presence? If we're supposed to believe this, and I know we're talking like outside the box here, but you've got the Force and everything, and they all can tell. Why did he never tell that he was still alive if that was the case? It's just nonsense. I mean, there's, there's lots of things like that. So why, why, why didn't the Emperor figure out that Ben Kenobi was... Was on uh, was on Tatooine, or exactly. that you know someone who still retains the name Skywalker is walking around and calling themselves Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did they never figure out that this kid uh, is actually uh, Anakin's son? So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's best not to think. It's best not, see with stuff like that. I can get over fairly quickly and I can suspend disbelief and I can think, oh, don't don't think too deeply about it. But the Darth Maul thing, uh, yeah, it's, it's too much. Yeah, it's absolute nonsense. And then we have that interaction, that's fine. And then Han then goes after Beckett to get Chewy, and Han kills Beckett with, I wasn't even bothered at this point. We knew he was going to do it. Um, you know, Beckett was like, oh, I like you, kid, and all this, and trying to double bluff him, but he takes him out. Chewie and Han then decide to deliver the quacks into Emphis because uh, of the rebellion. Uh, and, and again, we get another throwback. It's a bit like the New Hope where Emphis says to him, look, you know, we can need someone like you in the rebellion. And he declines and enough to, he, he then gets, basically it's the end of the film, basically gets a single canister of coaxium then, which is enough to buy his own ship. 
um, the end, or so we thought, Dave, don't we? Uh, I'll let you say the next bit because obviously I'm sort of summarising very negatively at the moment. Yeah, so I apologise. I guess so. A couple of things. So, so you know, I'm not going to spend too long. So he basically goes back and he wins the card game, doesn't he? The the famous card game, um, and he gets the Falcon, and that's because he's nicked uh, Lando's special card that he had up his sleeve there. The second thing, and and again, I, this may be just my coloured perspective on it, but. In that moment in A New Hope, so leading up to the final battle, Hans made his money. He needs to go back and pay Jabba, you know, yeah. to get himself off. He's, he doesn't want anything to do with this rebellion. He just wants out of it. That moment where he saves Luke and he puts his hand up to his ear, I can see it now in my, in my mind's eye, and he says, you're all clear, kid. Now let's take this shot and go home. That for me is a, is a pivotal moment, or or Chris, maybe even a pivotable moment. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Dave, <laughs> for Han Solo's life, you know, where actually, you know what, he's led this scoundrel's life, and at and at that point, you know, or leading up to that point, he's actually found meaning in his life, and it is a pivotal moment. That's that's. How I how I've interpreted that moment, yeah. Whereas actually, you see, well, it's it's just a character trait. You know, he thinks he's the bad guy. He thinks he's a bit of a scoundrel, but he always does the right thing. You know, and uh, again, it, for me, it just cheapened the whole thing. It's like well, you're always doing this, yeah. You know, so again, uh, I just left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. I think, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and I mean, this is, you know, Han and he gets the ship and we get some flying off and then they, they end up uh, meeting some sort of gangster done who's putting together another crew for another heist, which is obviously something that we're supposed to believe he does until he meets sort of Princess Leia and stuff. But Well, so, so it's Jabba, isn't it? Yeah. It's Jabba. Yeah. They, they, they talked about, you know, this, this gang up on Tatooine. It's, it's obviously Jabba. Yeah, so they're they're, they're kind of like, come on, give us a sequel, boys. We 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 want this sequel so we can explore explore that. And how does he? It's it's going to be another retelling, isn't it? It's, oh, he's how is he going to double cross uh, him? Basically, his, yeah. How is he going to dump his cargo and then end up in trouble with Jabba the Hutt? Yeah, it's, don't need to see it. Yeah, don't. And I'll be honest, <laughs> don't really care. Yeah. Um, this is a shame, really. Uh, you know, we're at the end of the film now. Credits roll. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You know, what? one thing I'll ask, and, and it's your turn this week yeah, <laughs> to yeah. wrap up, yeah. and, uh, and I've got a good feeling about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when the credits were going up, the lights stayed down in, in my cinema, and that... Quite often means so. So you know, a lot of movies that I'm going to now are like comic book movies, and so it usually means you know there's going to be some kind of end credits, and the credits were coming up, and I just didn't have it in me to stick around and find out. I was just like, you know, I'm done. Even if there are end credits, I I, I don't need to see them. Were there any? Do you know? 
I left exactly the same as you. There never is with Star Wars. They've always say there'll never be end credits. I could be wrong, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll check it now, but I was the same as you. I just got up. I was like, right, are we going? Because they've never done it before. So if they have done it, I'll check it now. If they, if they have done it, then it's it's totally out of the norm. No. Yeah, it's just interesting. Like I say, I noticed that, that they they kept the lights down. But um, yeah. yeah, no, there's nothing now. Okay. So... Should we go into our final review? Oh, yes, then. (laughs) Now, obviously, it's me this week. And I can only, you know, because obviously when we do these podcasts, it's always upbeat and fun. And even the stuff like Generation X and and Nick Fury, you know, I've slated them, but we've had a good laugh reviewing it and real, you know, we've had a good time. This one, the podcast has been great, but the actual, because I'm such a Star Wars fan and I've I bought into, I'm probably like yourself and obviously you'll, you know, you'll, you'll say what your review is, but because I'm invested in the universe so much and every character has its own personality. And obviously, we're going back 40 years. It was, it was genius stuff by George Lucas for 40 years ago. The tricks he did with the special effects, the money they didn't have, all the things that they did to create that world is an absolute, you know, he's an absolute genius, George Lucas. And now I don't think 40 years later he could believe the juggernaut that he created. Uh, but I have never watched something with so much nonsense skewing the timeline, skewing the validity of the Empire, because the Empire's always been these baddies and they're always, you know, they're maniacal. They're all like a dictatorship where they just want to rule everything. And and there's a lot of similarities to, and I've said this when when we've watched, uh, when I've watched stuff about the making of it, but it was to do with like the uh, dictators around the German army and stuff like that, you know, around the 40s and stuff, the Nazis and stuff. So that's what it's all built on. We can see that by... the uniforms, everything, but it was believable. Everything was believable. This film, from the minute it started, I was so annoyed. And I wasn't annoyed because it was rubbish. I was annoyed as a Star Wars fan thinking, this is just nonsense. Because I got home, I went on Twitter, and I expected there to be, and this is like 3 o'clock in the morning, hundreds and hundreds of people, this is terrible, this is awful. Considering The Last Jedi and even Rogue One, uh, not Rogue One, uh, Force Awakens got slated, didn't they? Especially The Last Jedi. It's got absolutely thrown under the bus, especially the Luke Skywalker thing at the end. It absolutely got thrown under the bus. That film is 10 times better than this film. And I read the reviews and everyone was going, great film. Ron Howard's pulled it out of the bag. Ron Howard, oh, what a great director. Absolutely. So I've read the official review saying it. It's all the boxes. What a director is. He, he, the reshoots, you know, real let you go away feeling happy. And it's a feel good movie. And, and there was, as I said, there was three of us watching it. We all turned to each other. We got outside and I went, it was like when Del Boy wins the money in that auction at the end of million, you know, six million pounds he wins with Rodney. And he looks at me and goes, Are you going first or shall I? And I just went, <laughs> Who's going first then? And we all looked at each other. And then I think Ace said, I won't swear, but Ace went, that was absolute S. And Mark went, that was just nonsense. And But we could, there was people in front of us laughing at some of the jokes. And I'm thinking, 
there was nothing that really made me laugh. There was nothing that stood out. There's no memorable bits in that film that I could even say, other than the Millennium Falcon and them having the names of the Han Solo, the Lando, Donoghue was good, but, you know, Chewbacca is Chewbacca, that's it. You get what you pay for sort of thing. It's a guy in a, a suit making daft noises. But everything, the dialogue, everything was just put together too quickly. There was no investment in the characters and I just didn't care. So for me, Dave, it's going to Hell's Kitchen. Interesting. So I'm going to get abstract, as I like to do. And it's a bit of a chick flick. So, so you know, don't start laughing too much. But Titanic... Right. <laughs> Went to see that in the cinema because I was I was getting dragged there by my girlfriend. That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. But um, going into this movie, I'm thinking, what is the point of this? I know what's going to happen here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but actually, they did a pretty good job of telling a story about people. You know, it just happened to be on the ship. Yeah. And they got you to invest emotionally in these people, in this relationship, such that when, you know, you get to the moment and you remember, oh, hang about, they're on the Titanic. Oh, no, no, don't do it. You know, I remember seeing a a comedy sketch, you know, taking the mickey out of Hollywood, saying, oh, no, it's a Hollywood ending. It's, oh, oh, look, oh, we missed it. It's all right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But no, you know, so I genuinely thought at that moment, oh, no. No, I don't want them all to die. Yeah, yeah. So you can tell a kind of prequel story, or or you can tell a story where the end point is known, but you can take people along on a journey. Whereas I felt that this was such retreading of things that we already know, but we're just seeing them on screen. But but we've imagined them before. We, we we don't need to really be force fed something like this. Yeah. And so I kind of went in a little bit, no pun intended, but lukewarm. Um, but I, I was prepared. I was open minded, you know, and, and prepared to be dazzled. And and you know, I I guess I I was a bit let down as well. And actually, you know, some sometimes when. Like you say, you mentioned Nick Fury. When when we've gone back and we've talked about it, you know, I'd laughed. Actually, after we'd done our review, I, th- I think I thought back about the movie. And Generation X, the same, you know, and I, I sort of had a little chuckle to myself and maybe reflected on it more positively than, than when I, you know, had a better time thinking back about it than I did when I was actually watching it. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't really felt that as we're talking through here. Um and it's you know it must be, hopefully it's it's entertaining listening, but it, it does feel a little bit like we're just groaning on through this, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, and I don't want it, people to think that I'm doing it like you are. We're doing it from fans, not just slating it for Slayton's reason, because I don't buy into the Last Jedi Slate and stuff because I actually like the film. But yeah, yeah, me too. I, I was, and what I'd say as well is I thought cinematically it looks great. You know, the special effects were good. Um, some of the individual performances were were okay, um, not great. Again, I, I I don't know why you would make the choice to say just make Han Solo your own. No, yeah. we know who Han Solo is, and and yeah. those are probably a lot of the little smirks and stuff like that. It's a lot of it's just Harrison Ford 
but that's the character that we know. Yeah. You know, and, and when they rebooted Star Trek, I thought they did a phenomenal job of creating these new Kirk character, you know, this new Kirk character, the new Spock character, but constantly giving little nods back to to the old Star Trek, you know, and the, the old actors. I thought they did a brilliant job here. There. Here, not so much. No, no. For me, I was umming and ahhing about, I, I was going to go middle of the road on this one. Um, and I, again, it's another one of those, do I need a little bit more time? I was going to send it to Hall of Justice. Um, but as we've been talking through, I, I just, I can't really redeem this movie. The fact that it's had such a huge budget and it looks good, well, it should do at that budget. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about Deadpool, the way they did a brilliant job in that first movie. That, that's, that's what, about a fifth of the budget of this? And they, they did a brilliant job of just hiding the budget. You didn't really notice it. Whereas this, it's like, well, that, that's kind of all you've got is the great special effects and the, and the cinematography. So for me, it's Hell's Kitchen as well. Yeah, yeah, and and I'd like to make it clear to everyone. I am genuinely going to watch it again because I was I was amazed by the positive response to it, and I think it's going to go down as a bit of a cult classic. But I did see reviews where people said, like me, that was nonsense. You know, there was absolutely nothing in it other than the Millennium Falcon driving round uh, or flying round. Uh, it was just like you said. I saw low say it's just a fan tick, fanboy ticking box sort of thing, or fangirl tick, you know, box ticking exercise. Sorry, uh, but I didn't get it. I just didn't get it at all. Like you said, they've told a story that no one actually wanted or was even bothered about. The, the, the one that does need telling more than anything, I think, is is what they might do is the Obi Wan origin that that will get told, whether it's one when he meets Qui Gon or whether it's after. The, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, what did he do to go and hide away on Tatooine and stuff? Fair enough, these, these things you can do in the universe. And all right, Han Solo is, is a bigger part of the universe as Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker. He's one of the main characters, Dave, you know what I mean? And and I still, mm-hmm. it still settles badly with me that he got killed at the end of Force Awakens. I know he's an old man and all that stuff, but yeah, yeah. that was Harrison Ford. He wanted to be killed at the end of Return of the Jedi. You wanted to go in Empire, I think. Oh, it's Empire. Sorry, yeah, I knew it was one well, of them. No, yeah, he, I think he he was just constantly <laughs> asking to be killed off. Yeah, I think I think you know he had a love hate relationship. I think he loved the money, but I I don't think he liked the character much. He he just felt the character was a plot device for you know to help the the other guys move forward. But but yeah, sorry. Go on. No, no, no. So I I don't know. There's going to be a sequel. They've left it open for a sequel. And I think because it's had such positive reviews, which to me is like I'm living in another dimension to what I actually see. And I'm reviewing is subjective. Everyone has their opinions on stuff. There's stuff you like that I don't and vice versa. But I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's going to really make me watch it again because I just want to understand what have I actually missed. Was it because it was too late when I watched it. I watched it at midnight. Was I tired? Was it, you know, like we all said that, saying, mate, we just watched the wrong film. Yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, have you got any um, selfless plugs, then, Dave? We've actually got a few, haven't we? So, I'll hmm. talk first about the Grassroots Coach Cast. So, if you're interested in coaching youth football or youth soccer, get across and give a listen. There, we choose a different subject each week. Uh, myself and my co-hosts will talk a bit about our experiences there. Chris, any any plugs from you? Yeah, so obviously we've got the um, contextual podcast, which is my own podcast, uh, weekly gaming show, uh, talk about various different things in gaming, wrestling, football. Uh, contact me at contextual. Oh, in fact, no, Dave. Let's let's just say breaking news. Actually, sorry, I've changed the Twitter handle now. Actually, I did mention last week. Apologies, everyone. It's actually contact seventy eight. Cpod seventy eight. <laughs> so you can't forget that Cpod seventy eight, which is what I'm across all streaming devices. Twitter. If you do want to email me, it's contextualpodcast at gmail.com. But Dave, obviously we have another podcast under our entertainment network, uh, which is we have the Whatever Entertainment Network. We now have the Chat Footy Gossip Podcast, which is a daily football transfer speculation, uh, quick between maybe three to 10 minute podcast each day that we're both throwing out there. We've had some good response on it and it's just basically keeping up to date in the daily news within the footballing world. Yeah. So pretty excited about this new project, aren't we? I think it's, it's a lot shorter. Obviously these, these in-depth reviews are, are two to three hours long. We, we, do go in in deep on these whereas with the uh with the football or the soccer speculation it's just a little bit of fun for us so each day just talking a little bit the transfer window will be opening soon we've we've obviously got the world cup coming up as well and so it's just a it's just designed to be a short podcast where you can just listen each day and just get caught up on all the latest transfer gossip yeah, which is great, and and we're both big football fans, aren't we, Dave? So we, you know, we just we see what's out there. We just wanted to expand on it, bring our own sort of slant to it, and I'm really enjoying it. You're really enjoying it, so yeah, yeah. Just uh, stick around. We will be putting this in the, the podcast notes as well, and it'll be coming under all podcasts that we do. We're going to be linking all our various podcasts because we have got, as I said, it's the whatever. Uh, entertainment network now so all podcasts that we mean dave do are affiliated with us do come under the same banner so they're quite easy to find on itunes and any sort of podcast hosting sites so uh, just give us a follow and and just get in touch with the show if you need to get a hold of us yep sounds good okay chris any final final words yeah sounds a bit grim that doesn't it <laughs> it's been like i say i can only apologize i'm trying not to make it grim and jarring today i just couldn't hold back on it dave i feel bad for tearing it to pieces because it's not a bad film but as a a true fan nonsense so uh, i'm going to go off and read up now on google about where this darth mall timeline comes from thanks everyone for listening and all i can say is may the force be with you no lives just players Nobody's in the seat, you know, take it from. So this is, uh, the back. The buck. The buck. Got it. You played before? A couple times, yeah. Captain Lindo Karazin. On solo. Looks like you're, uh, having a good day. I'm a lucky guy. Can I ask you a question, Captain Calrissian? Anything, man. 
the top, but that's okay. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Why did Sasha Baron Cohen get chased by the Secret Service? What made Sarah Silverman stand by her friend Louis C.K.? How did Mindy Kaling miss out on SNL? I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and on The Last Laugh, comedians reveal how they're staying funny in a world that's falling apart. As long as I'm laughing, yeah. I laugh at the things I say or anyone else. <laughs> I just like laughing. Next up, how everything changed for Nick Offerman when he became Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec. Life was like, oh, by the way, things are going to get <laughs> way more super crazy. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.